1: Hey, everybody, happy Saturday. Coming up next week on the show, we are going to talk about a famous concert pianist. And making an appearance in that episode, brief but important, is Franz Liszt.
0: So it seemed like a great time to revisit one of our favorite past episodes about some 19th century fandom, and that is Lisdomania. Just a quick note, if this uh, episode sounds a little different to you from how our episodes have been sounding, it's just from an earlier era that was recorded and produced at a slightly different quality level. Enjoy! Welcome to Stuff You Missed
1: in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. Uh, I have a confession to make of a long-holding jealousy. It's been been with me quite a while. I have always been jealous of Sarah and Dublina, having already covered the Rite of Spring riots on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That whole story is just so weird. They already covered it back in 2011, so I've had my eye out for some other kind of weird musical story to cover as, like, a sad consolation prize. This is not a sad consolation prize. This is actually awesome. It is about a musical mass hysteria that is from the mid-19th century, and that is Listomania.
1: Yeah! Uh, It's delightful.
0: I mean, there's no way around it. I feel kind of sorry for the guy, but at the same time, it's pretty great. So, uh, before we start, uh, as, as often happens, I need a little note. So today, the word mania... Definitely has psychological connotations, right? It's used to describe this excessively elevated mood or really hyperactive mental state. And that can also extend into like physical hyperactivity and other behaviors. And usually it's used this way in the context of like bipolar disorder, other mental and emotional disorders. And there are definitely folks who would really prefer that the word mania not be used to describe more generally just being really excited or busy. But at the time when the word listomania was coined, the word mania was really a physical description. It was not a psychological one. And so listomania was considered to be a frantic and dangerous physiological response to being around Franz Liszt. And so when we use the word mania in today's show, that is the context that we are talking about.
1: All I can think of is all those shots of the uh, women in the crowd as the Beatles landed in America cuz it's very yeah. similar.
0: <laughs> well, and to be honest, uh, I saw the uh the Boston Symphony, the Boston Pops specifically do uh a whole night of the Beatles. And um it was amazing. I was I was really there to see John Hodgman do uh what's it called? The the introduction to orchestra for young people. Oh yeah. Of that. Yeah. It was hilarious. And there was a there was narration through the whole thing that talked about, among other things, Beatlemania. And I had this moment where I was like, what if we did a podcast on Beatlemania? <laughs> and then I couldn't figure out a way to make that feel legitimate. So this feels a lot more legitimate and also very fun.
1: So, to give you a little bit of background and set this up, Franz Liszt was born in Deborion, Hungary, which is now raiding Austria, although it is still referred to as Deborion, if you speak Hungarian, on October 22nd of 1811. And Deborion at the time was rather small. It was basically a market town, and most of the people who lived there were both German-speaking and ethnically Hungarian, or Magar.
0: Liszt was the only child of Adam Liszt and Anna Maria Lager. Madame Liszt worked as a clerk for Prince Nicholas uh, Esterhazy, who was a musical patron. And uh, Liszt's father was also an amateur musician who could play several different instruments, including the cello and the piano. Franz Liszt's father had also spent two years in the Franciscan order. So Franz grew into a religiously pretty devoted child.
1: Liz already showed a really distinct love of music by the age of six, and his father started to give him music lessons. Franz was just enormously talented, and he really progressed in his musical study extremely quickly. By the time he was nine, he was giving public performances as a concert pianist. And after his first performance, local bigwigs actually donated money to fund the next several years of his musical education.
0: Soon, his prodigious ability outstripped the resources that were available in de Borean. So, Liszt's father asked for an extended leave of absence from his employer and took Franz to Vienna. There, he studied piano with Karl Czerny, who himself had studied with Ludwig von Beethoven. Liszt also studied composition with Antonio Salieri, who was much more famous for his relationship with and rivalry with Mozart. Both of these two teachers were so impressed with Liszt's talent that they refused to be paid for their work with him.
1: Franz's first public performance in Vienna was in 1822, so he would have been about 11 years old at this time. And he was described as, quote, a little Hercules fallen from the clouds. He started writing his own compositions that same year.
0: The next year, Franz met Ludwig von Beethoven for the first time, and according to one possibly apocryphal account, Beethoven was so charmed that he kissed him on the forehead.
1: 1823 was also the year that Liszt moved to Paris. This move was another one that was made so that he could continue his studies with other musical masters. And while the Paris Conservatory declined to admit him on the grounds that he was not French, Czech composer Anton Resha and Italian composer Ferdinando Payer taught him privately. In addition to his studies, he put on extensive public performances and he really started to develop quite a following.
0: However, in 1826, when he was 15 years old, Franz's father died suddenly of typhoid. His father had really been his primary source of support during all of this musical training and performing. Plus, the boy was only 15 years old. He had not always had good health up until this point, and this whole uh, series of touring and studying had been really fatiguing after his father's death Franz had to share a one-bedroom apartment with his mother, and grieving and exhausted, he turned to teaching piano to try to make a living. He actually fell in love with one of his students, which is going to set a trend for his later life. When her father forced him to end their relationship, he became so ill that newspapers printed obituaries for him. Afterward, he retreated from public performance for almost four years, and he spent most of this time reading and teaching Music.
1: He started to compose music again in 1830, following the July Revolution, in which King Charles X was overthrown and succeeded by Louis Philippe. In his mother's words, quote, "The cannons cured him," and afterward he met several more famous names in the musical world, including Hector Berlioz, Niccolo Paganini, and Frederick Chopin.
0: Liszt met the married Comtesse Marie d'Agou in 1833 when he was 22 years old. In spite of her being married, he fell in love with her, and they were to be together for 12 years. They eventually had three children together. To avoid the scorn of Parisian society over this affair with a married woman, they left and spent the next four years traveling through Europe, including Switzerland, Italy, and other non-Paris parts of France his travels and his love for her started to inspire him to compose, and he wrote a set of suites for solo piano, which became the highly praised Année de Pèlerinage.
1: Over the next few years, Liszt's reputation as a musician grew just dramatically. He gave tours and performances and really made a name for himself as a virtuoso composer and pianist, and as well as an extremely charismatic and very expressive performer.
0: He also became known for being quite generous with his music and his time. He often taught people and also accepted official posts for free. So he did all this without pay. And then he would donate the proceeds from his concerts to charity.
1: He also developed a different reputation thanks to his behavior off stage. James Huneker's 1911 biography in Chapter 2, which is called Aspects of His Art and Character, begins... List and the ladies.
0: It's like, this is like the heading. So it's like one,
1: list and the ladies. <laughs> the feminine friendships of Franz Liszt gained for him as much notoriety as his music making. To the average public, he was a compound of Casanova, Byron, and Goethe. And to this mixture could have been added the name of Stendhal. List's love affairs, list's children, list's perilous escape from daggers, pistols, and poisons were the subjects of conversation in Europe three quarters of a century ago, as earlier Byron was both hero and black sheep in the current gossip of his time.
0: Let's just add to the subjects of conversation right now that he was also extremely attractive. <laughs> like, I'm having trouble picking out which extremely attractive picture of Franz Liszt should accompany our blog post in our show notes uh, and and the episode itself because there are many and he looks like he looks like the boy at your high school who was very sensitive and soulful and wrote terrible poetry and made all of the girls think that he was just so tragically attractive like that that's what he looked like
1: yeah he looks like every guy in every um movie about teenage forlornness as well that like he's so beautiful no one will ever understand him.
0: Yep. I'm not I'm not kidding.
1: He is a pretty thing. I mean he's he's very beautiful.
0: Uh, So basically this all meant that Franz Liszt was a 19th century virtuoso piano rock star. And that's where this mania comes in. We're going to talk about after a brief word from a sponsor.
1: and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So, to understand this mania that erupted around Pran's list, Let's start by talking about what he was like in concert. Here is a description written by Hans Christian Andersen, of all people. As Liszt sat before the piano, the first impression of his personality was derived from the appearance of strong passions in his wan face, so that he seemed to me a demon nailed fast to the instrument whence his tones streamed forth. They came from his blood, from his thoughts. He was a demon who would liberate his soul from the thraldom. He was on the rack. His blood flowed and his nerves trembled. But as he continued to play, so the demon vanished. I saw that pale face assume a nobler and brighter expression. The divine soul shone from his eyes, from every feature. He became as beauteous as only spirit and enthusiasm can make their worshipers.
1: Really, Liz had been breaking new ground in his concert performances. It was not at this point common for just a man and a piano to have a whole stage to himself. But Liz did basically invent this sort of recital as a performance format. And it definitely wasn't common for someone to play the piano like a demon turned divine. The whole performance was so enormously expressive and emotive, and the audience tended to really just get caught up in it.
0: On top of that, Liz played with the piano in profile so that people could see his face while he played. And he would whip his kind of longish hair around as he was playing, which was very striking. He also played all of his music from memory, which a lot of other musicians of the day thought was extremely rude, especially when you were playing work that someone else had written, which could make people think that you had actually written it yourself. On December 27th of 1841,
1: Franz Liszt played the first concert in what would be a 10-week tour of Germany. And the audience was overcome. Women shrieked and swooned, and there was a general atmosphere of rapturous chaos. And from the men, jealousy.
0: It got weirder from there. People started wearing lockets and brooches that had its face on them, which is not that weird. I mean, it's not that much different from having a T-shirt with your favorite boy band face on it women however started carrying vials with them in case Franz Liszt walked away from some not quite empty cup of coffee so they could like spirit away the unconsumed dregs of his coffee and then carry it around with them in that vial People scavenged his old coffee grounds and cigar butts. Also, there's even one story of a lady-in-waiting having one of his discarded cigar butts encased in a locket that had his initials and jewels on the front. I love it.
1: I mean, that one makes perfect sense to me. Do you
0: remember when (laughs) Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton were walking around with vials of one another's blood? Yes. It was like that. (laughs) I get it.
1: Uh, women would literally attack Liz when this mania was going on. So they would tear off parts of his clothes. They would try to snip pieces of his hair and they would fight one another for their spoils. He'd throw gloves and handkerchiefs into the audience after performances and the scene would devolve into fisticuffs. Sometimes with the articles that people were fighting over being torn to bits in the process.
0: His manner of playing the piano was also very prone to breaking strings and women would scavenge those broken strings also and then make them into bracelets, which is one of the less weird (laughs) parts
1: of all of this. I love that. I love a little crafty fandom. And yes, uh, in case you're wondering, there are reports of women throwing their garments onto the stage, including their undergarments, although this is disputed as to whether or not it's fact or fancy.
0: So although most of the listomania behavior is attributed to women, men definitely did get on the action too. Some of them in their own excitement and some of them in the form of fighting one another in fits of jealousy.
1: It was poet and journalist Heinrich Heine who coined the word Lisdomenie on April 25th, 1844, at which point Liszt had actually moved on to Paris. And at first, Heine actually thought this whole phenomenon was a result of social and legal expectations in Germany. It was culturally more reserved than Paris with a more stringent law enforcement. So his supposition was that people were taking this opportunity to legally blow off steam where they could.
0: But then Franz Liszt came to Paris, where people were a lot freer. There was a lot more social wiggle room. The exact same thing happened. Uh, And he wrote quite a lot about it. We're not going to read all of it, but we are going to read kind of a lengthy bit of Heine's description, which goes, Strange, thought I, these Parisians who have seen Napoleon, who had to win one battle after another to hold their attention. Now they are claiming our Franz Liszt. And what an acclaim it was, a veritable insanity, one unheard of in the annals of furor. What is the reason of this phenomenon? The solution of this question belongs to the domain of of pathology rather than that of aesthetics. A physician whose specialty is female diseases and whom I asked to explain the magic our list exerted upon his public smiled in the strangest manner and at the same time said all sorts of things about magnetism Galvanism, electricity, of the contagion of a close hall filled with countless wax lights and several hundred perfumed and perspiring human beings, of historical epilepsy, of the phenomenon of tickling, of musical cantharides, and other scabrous things which, I believe, have reference to the mysteries of the Dea. Perhaps the solution of the question is not buried in such adventurous depths floats on a very prosaic surface. It seems to me at times that all this sorcery may be explained by the fact that no one on earth knows uh, knows so well how to organize his successes or raise their maison sain as our Franz Liszt. In this art, he is a genius. <laughs>
1: As we said at the top of the show, the medical establishment thought this was a contagious, dangerous physical syndrome that could actually pa- be passed from one overwrought lady to another. They feared an epidemic. So basically, people have been pathologizing young women being really excited about music for almost 175 years. That wasn't new with the Beatles. It nope. was not new with any boy bands since then. Nope. All the way back to Franz Liszt.
0: Maybe even before. It's possible that there were similar stories in other cultures. All of the resources I had at my disposal were about, like, the Western musical tradition. Yeah. But who knows? So, uh, actually, this whole thing kind of plagued Franz Liszt. Other musicians were absolutely appalled at the audience's behavior, including really famous names like Chopin and Schumann and Mendelssohn. A lot of people in the musical world really started to dislike Franz Liszt based on what they saw as this vulgar, needless hero worship that was undecorous and dangerous. And Liszt's own correspondence sounds vaguely baffled at this pattern. I mean, he was obviously doing some things to encourage it, like on purpose throwing gloves and handkerchiefs into the audience, but he really still didn't seem to quite fathom the extent of everybody's intensity.
1: But just like Beetlemania, Spice Mania, and Bieber fever, it eventually subsided. We're going to talk about that some more after we have a quick word from one of our fabulous sponsors.
0: So to get to the end of Lisdomania and the end of Franz Liszt's life. In 1847, Liszt met Princess Caroline Zusan wittgenstein and he met her in Kiev, and they started a relationship. And she, like his previous long-term love affair, was married. The princess wanted him to stop touring and settle down and focus on teaching and composing instead. And so while he and the previous... Uh, his previous love interest, the Comtesse, had needed to escape Paris and scandal. Instead, Liszt was installed in the princess's estates. His last paying concert was in September of that year, and he was 35.
1: At the age of 37, he accepted the permanent post of Kapellmeister, basically the person in charge of music for the Grand Duke of Weimar. This position came with a royal benefactor, Carl Alexander, to be his patron. So he had the financial and social backing to just continue his own work. Liszt moved to Weimar, and the princess later joined him
0: there. In addition to his ongoing teaching and composition, Liszt started trying to create new musical forms. The most famous of these was the symphonic poem, which is a musical piece that's meant to evoke or illustrate a story or a piece of visual art. These compositions were really groundbreaking, and they attracted more music students who wanted to learn from him. He dedicated most of his music around this time to the Princess Caroline.
1: And while in Weimar, uh, Liszt wrote what's considered to be his most accomplished symphonic work, Ein Faust Symphony or Faust Symphony. This was essentially a series of in- interconnected symphonic poems based on Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's tragic play Faust. Goethe and Schiller had both lived in Weimar
0: and Liszt drew musical inspiration from their literary work. His post as Kapelmeister also meant that Liszt was responsible for conducting the Weimar Orchestra, and in doing so, he really revolutionized what it meant to conduct. Up until that point, the conductor was basically a human metronome. He made sure that all of the orchestra played in time with one another and that nobody missed their cues. But Liszt added gestures and expressions and an emotive physical presence to guide what the orchestra should sound like in the shape of the playing itself. And this is pretty much taken for granted in the field of conducting an orchestra today. That's how it works.
1: At the end of the 1850s, life became more difficult for Liszt.
0: He resigned his post in
1: Weimar in 1859, and at that point, two of his children also died, one in that same year that he resigned, and then another a few years later in 1862.
0: He also got caught up in a musical feud known as the War of the Romantics, and this pitted the more romantically inclined musicians Liszt and Richard Wagner against the more conservative, classically inclined, traditionalist faction of Robert Schumann, Felix Mendelssohn, and Johannes Brahms. This was basically a dispute between the more avant-garde musical scene and the composers who drew their influence from past masters like Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven this association
1: with uh, Wagner also meant that Liz developed a reputation for having anti-Semitic views, but there's significant dispute about whether quotations that were attributed to him in this uh, area of thought were accurate or they were not.
0: Yeah. At this point, Wagner is kind of notoriously anti-Semitic in his views, but I had a hard time confirming exactly what Liszt's views were. So, As this whole musical schism was going on, Liszt moved to Rome, where the Princess Caroline had gone to try to get her previous marriage annulled by the Pope. She and Liszt hoped to get married, but her annulment did not go through, so they did not.
1: And at this point, Liszt turned away from a lot of the world. In 1863, he moved to an apartment at a monastery outside of Rome. And two years later, in 1865, he cut his hair in a tonsure. So that's the shaving of the middle part of the scalp that leaves a ring of hair around it. At this point, he took holy orders that same year, and he pursued an extensive study of theology with the hope of joining the clergy. And although he was never ordained, he did become an abbot, and he produced a number of religiously themed musical works. In
0: 1870, Liszt returned to Hungary to visit, and while he was away from Rome... Victor Emmanuel II attempted to unify all the Italian states and essentially laid siege to Rome. Since he couldn't return, Liszt remained in Hungary and accepted a post at the Royal National Hungarian Academy of Music in Budapest. And today, this is the Franz Liszt Academy of Music.
1: For the last 15 years of his life, Liszt divided his time among Budapest, Weimar, and Rome. He continued to teach extensively and cultivated the idea of a master class. And that's an idea that's continued to be part of musical and other artistic education today. He taught these demonstration-based classes, he being the master, of course, for free.
0: He struggled with depression and failing health toward the end of his life. And he died in Germany on July 31st, 1886. By then, he had composed about 1,400 works.
1: Uh, although he's pretty universally recognized as a virtuoso piano player, as well as for his contributions to the art of conducting and the idea of symphonic poems, there are still people that argue that his skill as a composer was all hype.
0: Yeah, that's. I found several articles that were like, Franz Liszt, was he really any good? I don't think so. <laughs> that's always the
1: case with avant-garde folks, though, right? Like even Well, after- and
0: it's also the case with excessively pretty soulful-looking people who... Uh, acquire an overly excited base of fans that like to scream a lot.
1: Right. I mean, you could say that of any uh, person in the arts or anything really where like, if they have really rabid fans, there's always going to be a kickback of like, no, they're not worth all of that. Even if they are super talented and amazing.
0: Right. People say that about the Beatles (laughs) and there. It's like, there are plenty of arguments you can make about the Beatles and what their influences are and whether there's influence should have, gotten more attention and whether all of their work is really great. But really, seriously, <laughs> you can't just dismiss the entirety of the Beatles because ladies were screaming about them. Yeah. So, there also, this whole phenomenon spawned a weird rock opera about Franz Liszt in the 1970s that was called Listomania. And there's also a, a, a song and album by the band Phoenix that became very popular more, much more recently. Um... If you want to read all kinds of primary sources about Franz Liszt, the Library of Congress has a whole bunch of them. A bunch of them are on the web. It's pretty awesome. Cool. the first time. Every time. All your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.
1: You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials